You know, when you talk about blood, blood is not a neutral subject. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a subject that makes you kind of, um, uh, some people may be really interested in it. Some people are afraid of it. There's actually a phobia called hemophobia. Uh, that's a fear of blood. And 4% of people in America uh, have that, that fear of blood. I remember as a little kid, I didn't have any kind of weird fascination or anything, but you know, I was like a, a little boy when you heard about blood, it kind of got your attention. And I grew up near Shiloh National Park. It's a Civil War battlefield. How many of you ever been to Shiloh before? If you are a history person or a Civil War person, it's a great uh, place to go because it, it is uh, very much like it was uh, back in the 1860s when the battle took place. But I guess I'm six years old, five or six, the first time I went, and, uh, and we're being toured around, and they, they kept talking about the bloody pond. And it was a pond, uh, there you see it, and just leave it there, Brian, where soldiers from both sides, Confederates and Union soldiers that were wounded, that were dying, went to this pond to either get a drink or to try to clean out their wounds. And uh, in the Battle of Shiloh, there was about 20,000 casualties, about 3,500 to 4,000 died, but many people wounded. And they said when the battle was over that this pond was solid red from the blood of the soldiers. So when I got to go, that was 1862, so I'm going, it's about 1972, I guess. And I'm so excited to see this bloody pond, and there wasn't a drop of blood. It just looked like some farmer's pond. Uh, And you know why? Because after about 110 years, the blood's not still in the water, amen? Okay, y'all as dumb as I was. You thought it would be too. It was not. It just looked like a pond. And, And... that had a point, but I've completely lost it now because of your lack of laughing at my joke. <laughs> Fascinated with blood. We're going to talk about blood this morning, but we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, if you don't, the scriptures will be on the screen. Whether blood annoys you, scares you, or you're fascinated with it, the blood of Jesus Christ is something you need to understand. And I want to begin with this. We are all stained with sin. Do you know that? All of us have been impacted by sin. Sin has uh, infected every person in this room. In verse 22, it says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, chapter 9 of Hebrews is dealing with sin and the solution to sin. And, and you've got to start with this. We have all been stained by sin. Billy Graham, the great preacher, was doing a crusade in New York City years ago. And when he, when he was going to the city to plan and prepare... He got to to meet with the mayor of New York beforehand, and he asked the mayor, he said, can you give me the names of some real sinners in your town so I can pray for them, and we'll try to get them to the crusade? The mayor of New York City went to his desk, came back, and he handed him a New York City phone book, and he said, here are the real sinners of New York City. And that's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. 
It doesn't say all men have sinned. It doesn't say all women have sinned. It says all men and all women. It says everyone has sinned. In 2014, the latest statistics I could find in America, in one year, there was over 1 million, it was like 1,165,000 violent crimes in our country. <clears throat> over 1,100,000 murders, homicides, rapes, uh, aggressive, aggravated assaults. Listen, that's a lot of things, but I want to tell you what it is at the root and the heart of it. It is sin. It is a sin problem. We're stained by sin. So what do we do? I mean, that you, you really don't have to be a theologian to grasp that, that it is a problem. It's something we're stained by. What do we do with the sin situation? Well, is it more education? Is it more money? Uh, a different po- a politician in charge, that will certainly solve it, won't it, in Washington. In India, every four years, they have, and I'm, I'm using the English translation of it, the, it's called the Pitcher Fair. The Pitcher Fair is the largest gathering. Now, listen, the largest gathering in the world. Every four years, people in, converge, mostly Hindus, to northern India. And every 144 years, they have the Super Pitcher Fair, which was in 2013. 10 million people, 10 million people converged at this spot where three rivers come together in northern India. And, and the, the mythology behind it is, is that hundreds of years ago, the gods got in a battle and they dropped their nectar into the water of these three rivers and that if the people will come and dip themselves in these rivers, they will be cleansed from their sins. And you know what? That's a nice thing, but that doesn't cleanse you from sin. You, you can go get in the baptistry here, the Washita River, you can go get whatever, but you are not going to be cleansed from sin just by getting in water. I heard Hillary Clinton was being interviewed by some African-American students. And they asked her, they said, what are you going to do about the the problem? How are you going to change hearts when it comes to racism? Their question was very good, and the way they asked it was very well. Racism is a heart problem. It's a sin problem. If you don't like somebody, you're white, and you don't like someone because they're black, you're not a redneck, you're a sin, that's sin. If you're black and you don't like somebody because they're white, that's sin. If you're green and you don't like someone who's orange, that's sin. Amen? It is. I don't, it, it just flat out is. And they asked Hillary, how are you going to change people's hearts? She goes, I'm not going to change people's hearts. I'm going to change laws. I'm going to enforce policies. And I'm going to allocate funds. And we will deal with it this way. You know, certain things do need some legal boundaries with it. But you cannot legislate someone's heart to be different. Now, if you're a Democrat and you're mad because I made a shot at Hillary, Donald Trump wasn't asked the question, but I can tell you what Donald Trump would say. They're idiots and we're going to throw them out of the country. (laughs) That's not going to solve the sin problem either. How do we solve the sin problem? Well, here's what the Bible says. It takes blood to solve our sin problem. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. What are you talking about? Blood? To solve our sin problem. How does this make sense? I mean, the blood to solve our sin problem. It doesn't have to make sense. Uh, I don't understand how air conditioning works, but I thank God for it because I live in Louisiana. And I, I enjoy it. In verse 22, 
It says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For, out the, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, you notice it said nearly everything. If you were to look, if you're taking notes, you can write and look this up when you get home. Leviticus chapter 5 in the Old Testament, it says this, that if a person is too poor to afford an animal to bring to be sacrificed, they could literally bring some flour, and the flour could be offered for the very poor person for a sin offering. But that was the rare exception. The bottom line, God says blood is the price for forgiveness. The Bible tells us this, and most of us are smart enough to know this. Blood is your life source, friend. I mean, there is nothing more important you possess than your blood. You may have a big bank account. You lose enough blood, you lose your life. Blood, blood is, the, is the life source. And, and the Bible says, I don't understand this, but the Bible says sin is so serious that the payment for sin to be forgiven, to be blotted out, to be removed, the price of that is blood. In the Old Testament, what that meant was oxen, sheep, goats, turtles, doves, young pigeons being brought and being sacrificed. Look in verse 6 of this chapter. In verse 6, it says, when these things were all in place, it's talking about the Jewish system, the priest regularly entered the first room. That was the holy place as they performed their religious duties. Look, the priest did sacrifices daily, they did them weekly, they did them on the Sabbath, they did them uh, at the feast. I've shared this before, but I'm going to share this with you again. A man named W.D. Davis in his book, Paul and Rabbinic Judaism, he, he lists the official blood sacrifices. These are just the ones that happen in Jerusalem every year. These are not talking about the ones that individuals may have done or that happened in other places. Just in Jerusalem every year, 1,093 lambs sacrificed, 113 bulls, 37 rams, 32 goats, 1,093 lambs. In other words, the, 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 the way the system was set up, that there was constantly had to be sacrifice, blood sacrifice for sin. That's how serious God takes it. Now, in verse 7, we see another thing, but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, the holy of holies, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins. And what They had these daily sacrifice, weekly sacrifice, Sabbath sacrifice, festival sacrifices. And then once a year, the high priest, one man would go into the most sacred place, the Holy of Holies. And he would offer a blood sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people. But see, here's the bottom line. You had to do this stuff over and over, daily, weekly, that once a year, that the Day of Atonement, we know that as Yom Kippur. You hear someone talk about Yom Kippur today. Or you see, that's the Day of Atonement. Yom means day. Kippur means to atone. But the system was not perfect. The system was incomplete. It, it, in fact, it was a, a system that never was satisfied. In verse 9 and 10, it says, This all is an illustration pointing to the present time, the time of Jesus. For the gifts and sacrifice that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansings and ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system came. In other words, the, the Old Testament system was a system that was good but not complete here comes Jesus here comes Jesus it, 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 it Jesus 
The blood solved the problem, was the issue. But Jesus shed blood is your ultimate sin solution. The ultimate solution for your sins and my sins is not an unwilling oxen or an unwilling goat. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, when you talk about the blood of Christ, and in just a few moments we're going to have the Lord's Supper, and, and we'll talk about the, it represents the blood, but we know that it's grape juice, right? There's a pastor's son. He was in first grade. And he'd grown up in church, and he'd heard, you know, this is the blood of Jesus, but it was really grape juice. And he came home one day, and he asked his mom. He got home from school. Normally, on that day, his dad was home, and he asked Mama. He said, where's, where's Daddy? And she said, well, he went down to the, the blood bank to, to give blood. And the boy kind of paused and looked, and he goes, oh, but we know he's really just giving grape juice. <laughs> we talk about Jesus' blood, we're talking about blood. We're talking about real blood, real life source. And I want to give you three thoughts under this. The first is this. Jesus shed his blood once and for all. See, the Old Testament system, you had to do it daily, weekly, festivals. Once a year, the Day of Atonement, you had to do it over and over and over. But here comes Jesus Christ, guys. Here comes Jesus Christ, and he walks into the scene in verse 11 and 12. So Christ now has become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, not the blood of an unwilling animal that doesn't know what's going on. With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all time, securing our redemption forever. In verse 24 through 26, Christ did not enter the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on your behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death. See, here's what this is saying. Jesus came to shed his blood. Not grape juice, not symbolically, not figuratively. Jesus got beaten. He got that crown of thorns jammed down on his head. He got flogged. And, and we, the, the movie The Passion has helped bring that to life for us. But listen, that flogging, people died when they got flogged. I mean, that was, that, that was a beating like you and I cannot, thank God, we can't even imagine. Spilling his blood everywhere. And then they took him to the cross. And they didn't duck take him to the cross. They took big nails and they drove them through probably right here, right under his hand. They consider that part of the wrist, possibly through his heels, and they nailed him to the cross. And, and the cross we tried to put on the bulletin looks more, a little more realistic than a pretty, neat, nice cross because this was a bloody, brutal, horrible cross. And the great thing is when Jesus died, 
He didn't have to do it tomorrow. He didn't have to do it next week or next Easter or next Christmas. He did it one time, and that one time was sufficient for everybody. And let me tell you the great news today. He didn't just die for somebody out there. He died for you. 1 John 2, 2, listen to what it says. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins. Read that last part with me loud. But, see, you can look yourself in the mirror this morning and you can say, Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. But what does that mean practically? I want to give you two things. Here's the first thing. Jesus' blood provides perfect forgiveness. See, we don't know what perfect forgiveness is. Because even the best of us, when we forgive somebody, we still, if we're not careful, we hold on to things. We, we can't forget things perfectly. Jesus' blood provides perfect forgiveness. In verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds, so that we can worship the living God for the power of the eternal spirit, Christ himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In verse 22, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. The word purify means to make clean, to free from filth. And in verse 26, if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once and for all time, he has appeared at the end of age to remove sin. Listen, if you're taking notes, write this down. That word remove means to cancel something. It means to put it away. It's going to the bank tomorrow to pay your car note or your house note. And the, and the banker says, it's gone. It's been paid for. It's settled. We get our English word annul from that. You may not know what an annulled wedding is. But if, if a marriage is annulled, it literally means it's been erased. It's like the couple was never married before. Listen to what this says. This says, if you will accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you as a Christian will live in, in the light of confessing your sins and staying close to Christ, that every sin that we've committed or will commit, Jesus Christ wipes it clean. It's gone. I've heard Christians say this not correct statement for years. Well, I hate that I did that, and, you know, someday I'm going to have to answer to that, uh, to God. Why? Confess your sin to God, Christian. Let God forgive you. When God says he's forgiven and forgotten, he meant it. This isn't a game. God doesn't say, I've annulled it. It's gone. I've erased it until you get to the judgment seat, and then I'm going to pull it back out again. That's not forgiveness. That's something a creep here on earth would do. When God says it's gone, it's gone. What's the worst thing you've ever done? Don't stand up and confess. We do not want to hear it. What's the worst thing you've ever done? You've lied. You've cheated. You've committed adultery. You've got drunk. You've done drugs. You've taken God's name in vain. Confess your sins. Get right with God. And let God perfectly cleanse that. Is that not wonderful? Is that not wonderful? Hebrews 10, 17, it says, Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Wow. I got into the last part of the first song. I wasn't sure what we were singing, but I know we sang in the early service, the beautiful song by him by Robert Lowry. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious, you know that, is the flow that makes me white as snow. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood blots out our sin. And here's the the third part of this. It provides us salvation. It provides us salvation. Folks, you're not saved apart apart from the blood of Christ. In verse 12, with his own blood, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption. The word redemption means to release something. It's a ransom paid. Listen, you and I were born into sin. And we sin by our choices. And we're separated from God. And the price to bring us back to God or to make that highway available was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We say if a a child is kidnapped and... We always figured, Cindy and I have, with our children and grandchildren, if they were kidnapped, the kidnapper would pay us to take them back. We never worried about that. But if, if someone is kidnapped, what do you call it? What, what do you pay? What's that called? It's called a ransom. That's what he's talking about here. The, 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 the devil has us, before we're saved, we belong to him. We don't belong to Jesus. And Jesus paid the price to set us free. This goes on in verse 15. This is why the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they have committed under the first covenant. Listen, the blood of Christ is what frees us from sin. The blood of Christ is what makes salvation possible. Do I understand all that? Absolutely not. I accept that as truth. That my sins were so bad, there was nothing I could do to make it right. And Jesus shed his blood. Saving myself was impossible Jesus Christ shed his blood. Several years ago, there was a movement among some groups when new hymn books were coming out, new songs were being written. They said, we don't need to sing about the blood. That's just too gory. And and I remember a liberal Presbyterian minister in in Washington, D.C. made a comment about that we don't need to talk about the blood of Jesus because the blood, it makes us a slaughterhouse religion. I want to tell you, friend, without the blood, you don't have Christianity. If I go to McDonald's today and order a large fry and a Big Mac and they tell me they don't have that anymore, it may be a restaurant, but it ain't McDonald's. Amen? And if I tell you we don't talk about the blood of Jesus, we may be a religious group, but we're not a Christian group. I love what an old preacher said. He said, your morality may keep you out of jail, but it's going to be the blood of Jesus that's going to keep you out of hell. The blood of Jesus is what provides for forgiveness. The blood of Jesus is what makes salvation possible. As your human blood cleanses you and and gives you life and is life, the blood of Jesus cleanses us and gives us life, and it is life. 
So I want to ask you this morning, how are you living in light of the blood of Jesus Christ? Some of you here aren't Christians today. I hope the fact that Jesus Christ, that God in the flesh, was willing to give his blood for you is enough to motivate you in the next five minutes to give your life to Christ. Some of us are Christians And we are so petty, we are so childish, we get hung up on the silliest things. We are so half-heartedly committed to Christ. And and Jesus went to the cross and died for us. I want to tell you a story that Justin Shipley, our former college minister, told me. Y'all remember Justin? Kind of a goofy-looking guy that played the banjo and stuff. I hope he's watching today. Justin had a friend who was in a meeting in Jackson, Mississippi years ago. And it was apparently a, obviously Justin wasn't invited. It was like a big shot meeting. And while they were in the meeting, the man who, they were in his office, his secretary came into the room and said to her boss, you've got a phone call you have to take right now. So Justin's friend said, you know, I knew that was not good. And a few minutes later, the man came back in. He was pale. And you could tell something was horribly wrong. And he told the group, he said, I've got to leave right now. And Justin's friend went out with him. And when he went outside, he said, what's going on? He goes, well, I just got a call that my son was in a horrible car wreck on the other side of the city. And I've got to go there right now. Justin's friend said he could tell there's no way this guy could drive. So he said, well, let me drive you. And when they got to the scene of the accident and they got out, they told the man that your son's dead. And apparently they had already put his body either in an ambulance and and he he was gone. But he had been ejected from the vehicle and where he had landed was in the highway. And there was a massive amount of blood in one of the lanes. Well, the police were doing what they're supposed to do. They had, where the cars, wrecked cars were, they had them off to the side. And now they were trying to get traffic going. And Justin's friend and this daddy walk up. And the man sees this large amount of blood in the highway. And people are just driving right through it. And this man said that the daddy went crazy. He said he ran out into the traffic. He started hollering, that's my son's blood. That's my son's blood. The police gently stopped him. And he said, let me, let me put my coat. He took his suit coat off and he laid it across his son's blood. And he said they sat there and they watched. He said most of the cars would drive around. The people didn't know what they were doing. I mean, they weren't being mean. It was just careless going about their business. Well, this man sobbing, saying, that's my son's blood. And nobody cares. I wonder how many times the father looks down at you and me and says, that was my son's blood. I don't even know if they care. Let's pray.
you're a Christian today, I hope that, that this subject has sparked your heart. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian and you're ready today to cross the line with Jesus, pray with me. If you're sincere and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And today I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a moment. Maybe you just prayed with me and asked Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to. Listen, for what Jesus did for you, it's worth you giving your life to Him. You come in a moment and talk to one of these ministers. Cross that line with Jesus today. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. You can join after church. Or you can come right now. I'm going to tell you, we're a church that's proud of Jesus. We're proud of His shed blood. And we're going to lift that up. Come and join us today. Christian, maybe today when we give the invitation, you want to come and get on your knees and thank Jesus. When was the last time you thanked Him for shedding His blood for you? Or maybe with a minister on your knees, you need to say, God, forgive me for how I have lived so under what I should compared to what you did for me. Christian, let's up our game with Jesus today. Let's stand as God leads you.